Berserker Cast episode number 20, Falling Skies, season 5, episode 5, Non-Essential Personnel. This is Drew Roy, also known as Hal Mason on Falling Skies. You're listening to the Berserker Cast on Golden Spiral Media. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Greetings, salutations, and howdy. Howdy, y'all. Aloha. <laughs> Welcome. Aloha. I like aloha. Yeah. Yeah. Because it means both hello and goodbye yes. and everything in between. Yes, it does. How are you this evening, Emily? I'm doing pretty well. I'm still exhausted from my first experience camping last weekend. That was your first so, time camping? It was my first time camping. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty awesome, but I am also very tired. Was it intense? Yeah, it was intense. We uh, canoed 30 miles down the St. Croix, mm-hmm. but we weren't attacked by any skitters, so I was very excited about that. That's I good. Kept, I kept telling my, my uh, friends stories about falling skies and like okay so in survival mode <laughs> this is what i've learned from falling skies <laughs> so nice. i totally know how these guys feel now mm-hmm. roughing it you know yeah mm-hmm. you're totally on board you can completely identify totally. with tom mason and the rest of the second mass i can I, I have so much more empathy for uh-huh. them now after one week roughing it oh no it was just one night <laughs> Yes, yes, you're all ready to lead the second mass yourself, I'm sure. Totes. I mean, I wouldn't get anybody killed or anything. Oh, well. We might as well call you mini-pope. Pope. Pope. Yep. Popoli. (laughs) No. (laughs) Veto. (laughs) Aloha. (laughs) Uh, Popoli. I like it. I think that's going to (laughs) stick. Popoli? Popoli. No. Yeah? No. I, let's let's I take will a start vote. Making fun of your name. Let's take a vote <laughs> no. in the chat room. Hey, the Polish blonde got my camping joke. I'm glad somebody did. Uh, let's take a vote, chat room. Should we call Emily Emily tonight, or we should we call her Popoli? Let's let's see how that turns out. In the meantime, I will introduce myself since Emily didn't introduce me. I'm Daryl. And in case, you know, just in case this is your first time tuning in, which we're, we're glad if, if, if you I are. was totally getting there. Mm-hmm. It was going to be after my story, but then you're like, oh, let's call her Popoli. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you were ever getting around to that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk I'll about Falling Skies uh, today. This is the Berserker cast. In case you stumbled into this podcast, having no idea what you were tuning into. I think we've got that covered now. So uh, this will be an interesting podcast tonight, I think, because you know one of the things that we do is we each of our each you know Emily and I, the hosts, we give it a rating each week, right? And our ratings are not really that close this week, so this usually means we're going to have some some good conversation, and we'll find out. Yes, no, I I absolutely think this is going to be an interesting conversation. But before we start that. Uh, this episode was directed by Olatunde Asunsanmi, 
and written by Jim Barnes. Yeah. And guest starring Catalina Sandino Moreno. And she was the fake nurse, a.k.a. Isabella. Which I don't think we even learn her name in this episode. That's just the IMDb credit. Okay, I was going to ask you. I know you pulled that information in, so you got it from IMDb. I had read a... I was looking for a couple articles today, and I I saw that she will be... I don't know if it was like a, a... semi-frequent guest star but she will at least be in the next episode well there are only five episodes left and so i mean she definitely was set up to be at least in the next episode you know we we had a couple of characters earlier this season uh brian was his name and her name was caitlin is that right that sounds right um and they only lasted for two episodes so we'll Mm -hmm. see we'll see i mean i would have thought that they would have lasted longer that's kind of how I feel about Isabella. She seems to be a character that could be around for several episodes, maybe even the rest of the year, uh, or the or just the next one, <laughs> or just the next one. She yeah. could she yeah. could die in the next episode. Who knows? She could die. Yeah. Everybody could just die. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But yeah. so far, so good. Well, all right. You want to start with your rating? I was going to say, let's do those ratings. Uh, yeah. Mine, and this is you have to see if you can. S- swing around to, to how I came up with his rating. Uh, eight, I gave it a pretty high rating, eight, uh, missing shower scenes. And uh, the reason I call it missing shower scenes was because with the, um, oh, what was his name? We got his name at the end of the episode when he introduced himself to Dan. Or Dan introduced himself. Marty. Marty, that's that's right, Marty. We've got to go back. All right. Uh, so Marty was kind of like a, uh, uh, Norman Bates type of character, crazy psycho with his oh. dead relatives in the other room. So, uh, so I gave it eight missing shower scenes. This episode did not have a shower scene. Yeah. Got it. That it, makes a lot more sense because I was not <laughs> <laughs> understanding at all what that reference was. <laughs> my, my other option was to go w- with like eight Hitchcock like episodes. And I thought, well, I'll just do the shower scene. And either way, I'm going to have to explain it. So there you go. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. All right. And I gave it five missed shots to the face. Five. That's actually that's... after the rewatch, it went up from a two. <laughs> Oh, after yeah. my first re or if, after the first watch on uh-huh. Sunday night, I gave it a two. <laughs> well, you know, I actually thought about giving this like a nine, nine point five. I didn't want to give it a ten. It wasn't a perfect uh, episode, and I think that you and I saw the same things and felt similarly. Well, I can't say that tonight about those things, but how we allowed those things to affect our overall score is where we huh. will, I think, come down differently on here. To me, there was, a, there was some things that I liked so much in this episode that I kind of gave a, somewhat of a pass, but it wasn't a full pass. That's why I landed at the eight. I know that's vague. I think you and I are on the same page. Let's bring everybody else into the, uh, into the page as well. Let's talk that's about the episode. Idea. And, and uh, where do you want to start with this one? Well, before we get into it, you know, I, I do want to preface this by saying that I'm not one to hate things that I like. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny, but like when you really like a show like this show that we like, it's really difficult for me to rate these low. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel so much more strongly about each episode as we get near to the finale 
that this episode really impacted me that way. And so there's nothing wrong with the acting. And the, the, even maybe the way the story was put together was actually really good. It was just where this episode was placed. And I don't know, even the direction that it's kind of taking. And this, this is going to be one of those episodes where at the end of the season, I will look back and be able to appreciate this episode for what it is. But right now, in the middle of season five, in the middle of the last season, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And, and so I, I did a lot of thinking today because I really didn't want to come into this podcast thinking, I hated this episode. I don't want to talk about it. You know, there, you know, it just, I, it took me, until this morning to rewatch the episode because I just did not want to rewatch it. <laughs> so I found this article today and I can't believe that I missed this prior to the season, but Greg Beeman actually departed the show at the end of season four and Olatunde Asunsanmi took over as lead director essentially. Hmm. And I didn't know that either. It, no. And, and, for the last four years, I read Greg Beeman's blog the morning after every episode aired. Mm-hmm. And he had this fantastic way of just bringing a lot of these little details together that really just enriched the experience for me. But, but you know, even without that, he, he seemed to be the only element of consistency between four, uh, amongst the four seasons up to that point because we changed show directors after uh, showrunners after season one, uh, the uh, Mark Vern Vern Hayden, I can't remember his name exactly, but one of the lead writers left after season two, and and then Remy left after was it season three or season four, and David three, I, I came on season mm-hmm. four. Yeah, so I mean, it's just, there's just been so many changes, and and you can really see the inconsistency of each season's story if you look back and just kind of think about season by season by season. Right. And so I don't know if that explains why for me that this episode seem or this this season seems a little off because we've we've talked about how it doesn't feel like a series fina- or a series finale season, haven't we? At least to a certain degree. At least to a certain degree, and I think that we had a discussion maybe last week where we were talking about hey, look, next week is the midpoint of the season. We've got, we'll have five done, we'll have five to go. And mm-hmm. if you'd have told me going into the season that four episodes in, they would still be in, you know, Savannah, what we thought was Charleston originally, but we learned it was really Savannah. But I, I wouldn't have thought that. And so now I, I feel even what I was kind of wanting to hold back a little bit last week and say, well, let's wait and see where they get. Okay. Technically they left Savannah, but they got like a mile out of town. And so. Yeah, in yeah. the chat room over here, uh, Mickey and and uh, X Force Eleven are both, you know, kind of echoing these same sentiments. You know, Mickey says it seems to me that they have a long way to go and a short time to get there. And Jeff X Force Eleven says the plot feels like it needs to be further along than where it should be with the number of episodes that we have left. And I think that's kind of how we're all feeling at this point, right? Yes, absolutely. And I and I think I said it last week when I when I said you know. There, there must be something about the finale that doesn't require a huge amount of tactical effort. You know, where, where they, they need to focus on the human element more than they need to focus on the destruction of the Ashveni. Mm-hmm. And there, there have been a lot of, you know, like, um, uh, I can't remember who it was that was saying, whatever you think you know about the Ashveni, you don't. And so, 
while we're exploring humanity, we're also getting to know the Ashveni a lot better. And I think next week we're going to be getting more into sort of their origin story and the reason why that they're conquering these civilizations. And so, and, and, and like that's, that's the problem for me is that I, I conceptually understand why they might need to have an episode like this in the middle of the season. But it's just so frustrating because they have so much material to work with beyond the conflicts within their group. <laughs> and it just, I, I don't know. I mean, I know it's like, it's going back to the whole historical, I think it was, I can't remember who brought it up in the chat room last week, but a house divided cannot stand, you know, so it's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're, we're clearly exploring some very necessary elements that will be required in order for humanity to sustain itself. I just, I don't know. Maybe, hopefully, it'll, my reasons will come out as we talk about the actual plot. But I, I don't know. I just, I can't really put my finger on it. Well, and I can't either, right? I mean, I think that that's exactly what they're trying to do is mm-hmm. to really explore humanity. And I mean, the finale can't be we've just defeated the the Ishfini, fade to black. Right. That can't be how the sh- the show ends. If it does end that way, then they need to have already established what the future holds for the planet Earth. And so I'm wondering if that's what they're doing. They're kind of front-loading the hopey, happy-feeling type of stuff Mm -hmm. so that it can perhaps end with destruction fade to black and we all feel great um mm-hmm. maybe they feel like it doesn't need an epilogue of sorts where you you defeat the ishvini in act two and now you in act three you've kind of established something or maybe there's they need to front load all this other stuff so that when they come to act three they don't have as much ground to cover to really establish the future of earth yeah no i think that's very valid <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I think that's the thing. Like we're in the middle of this season, not knowing how it's going to end. And, mm-hmm. um, so it's hard for us to see the end game quite literally. So mm-hmm. we're a little, I think, I think most of us, it sounds like wanted more offense from the second mass, wanted there to be more confrontation at this point between mm-hmm. the Ishvini and the second mass. And our boys are just a mile out of town and it's like, what's going on and i think i think that's causing right. some frustration i think that's probably accurate and you know once again it goes to what were my expectations for the season coming mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and when i'm when those aren't being met i'm having to constantly readjust myself and to a certain extent i don't mind doing that especially if the story is solid and yeah there it's just it's like they're trying to do something and i'm just not on board with it yeah but okay I think we should get into the actual plot because a lot of these details will come out. Absolutely. Okay, so I actually in in the in my rewatch, I actually really enjoyed the very opening scene with uh the the survivors with mm-hmm. um Isabella's group. I, I I was like I was almost like, Am I on the right channel? <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> But then the skitters started coming out, so yeah, yeah. Great channel. But yeah, I thought it was good. It was it was a reflection of what we've seen in the second mass, but just in a different context. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we get to see what happened to Pope and Anthony after they left the second mass. <laughs> yeah, they show up with a with a sheriff vehicle. Which, by the way, that 
that we got a good shot of the uh, sheriff vehicle when when Hal and and uh, Tom were dri- uh, not Tom, Tom Hal and Isabella were were driving off and sheriff's one of those words that always struck me weird you know it has an extra f on the end I mean that extra f is about as unnecessary as Sarah has been this entire show um, but anyway <laughs> they show up in the uh, sheriff vehicle that's right if if I were podcasting with Doug he would have had a hi hat or a you know didn't sound effect for me they show up in the sheriff vehicle and it was it was kind of cool to see him come in and save the day right mhm but did you that get was a- the that was the extent of what i liked about that scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah cuz you just knew that yeah these guys got saved by pope and anthony but they didn't really they get saved s o l yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know it would but it's but it's a completely stark contrast to how the second mass operates when he starts lining them up anthony says yep i've gone through i've questioned them all you 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 and you sorry you don't make the cut everyone else come with us you know and it harkens back to what we saw from pope originally when we first met him in season one right Mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good point he's going back to his old tricks except now he has oh well i don't know he has uh, a little bit of a chip, well, a little chip. He has a chip on his shoulder now, so his behavior or his approach mm-hmm. is seems a lot more dramatic. Yes. It is a lot more dramatic than when we met him in episode two of season one. But yeah, that, that's, a really, that's a really, really good comparison. He Well, he was a savage back then, and now he's a savage, but he's also... Go, well, he's 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 crazy. Yeah. He's he's quite literally he's crazy. Totally insane. Yeah. And 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 at least back when we met him originally, his primary enemy was the aliens. Right. Right. So and now kind it's of Tom. See his aggression and go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not just Tom. It's it's anybody. He has no regard for anybody that is is going to slow him down or stand in his right. way. Anyone who who shows any sign of weakness or unfit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that this is where you and I are going to to see this one where I I think throughout the episode we're going to see things very similarly but take a different tact with them. And yeah. I think that what they were trying to do with this was show a juxtaposition between the second mass and pope. And it was very, very clear, especially when we when we get into the Dan Weaver and and, and Marty McFly storyline. But the, uh, the I don't think it was necessary. I think we know these characters well Thank enough you. by now yes. to to for none of that to have been necessary. And I think that's where you scored it down. And I looked at it and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. And I looked at it and said, "Yeah, it's completely unnecessary." But holy cow, this was some good drama. And I thoroughly enjoyed it i mean there were like i texted you at one point and i'm like i just did a double fist pump and i yelled out loud and you're like what happened and i'm like pope just got shot you know i mean that was just my gut reaction i went yeah you know <laughs> there, there, and there were other moments where i'm like really tense and i'm like oh there's a commercial i can breathe so that's that's why I ended up giving it the eight was because that's, in that's spite really of us not really needing that stuff, I still really enjoyed it. See, and that that is that exactly you totally just nailed it there. That is exactly why I didn't like 
so many pieces of this episode. It was like everything was just a repetition or a regurgitation of stuff that we've already had. Uh, we don't need a con- we don't need this contrast between Pope and Tom. We we have understood that from the beginning. Right. You know, from right. from the moment th- that he entered the scene, they have been painting them as black and white. Well, you know, just they they have been perfect foils for one another. I should yeah, say, there you, you know, go. where perfect, yeah. where Tom does one thing, Pope will always do the other. You know, and. You know, I, I think back to uh, Jimmy and Jimmy's compass and Tom going after Pope and just throwing a punch because Pope wouldn't give Jimmy's compass back. You know, just like little stuff like that. And and Pope is always thinking about himself. And even here, he's only thinking about himself and his mm-hmm. survival, whereas Tom just never thinks that way. And even when every time Pope tries to say something against Tom or like explain what Tom is actually doing... I don't know. It, on the one hand, it seems like Pope is this, he's actually really intelligent. He really actually does have strategy, even if it's mm-hmm. usually a little in, introspective or inward focused. But he, he has strategy. He has intellect and he's smart about the way he goes about things. So why is he acting so insane? I mean, I just, there, there's a, there's an inconsistency here for me. And I just, I don't really believe that he would go this far. And I know that's saying something considering the show that we're watching, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I just, I, I can't emotionally get to where Pope is and say, yeah, I understand why you are at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think I can understand. I mean, when people lose somebody like that, then, you, you know, people react differently and some people can go off the rails like that. Particularly we talked about last week where he hasn't grieved. He's, he's taking all that aggression and just focusing it in completely the wrong direction. But, you know, I think this is the type of where this season, it's now the the Pope-Tom conflict. I think we thought it was going to be the second, excuse me, the second mass Ishvini conflict. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so that I th- I, in my mind, they you know, we need conflict, we need drama, right? And so they've, they've replaced that, uh, at least at this point in the season with, with this Pope Tom storyline. Um, having said that, I mean, I'm really, for what it is, I'm enjoying it. I, I am. That's en- great. That's I'm great. Enjoying and, you, that, that and I'm Tom totally and serious about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am so glad that you actually do see it that way because I was really worried <laughs> when I'm, when I'm about to give it a two, I'm like, Oh, Daryl's going to give it a zero, <laughs> but I'm glad, but I'm glad that you're seeing it that way. And I, I just wanted to throw this out. Uh, the Polish blonde in the chat room says uh-huh. the Tom Pope, Pope conflict is a regression, not a progression of the story. And I think she totally just summed that up. Yeah. It's, it's not something that we need for us to, because like, okay, are you sympathizing with Pope at all at this point? No, not in the least. Mm-mm. Okay. Nope. So in your mind, like other than trying to paint the contrast between Pope and Tom, can you see the purpose of this storyline as it relates to some sort of conclusion with the actual enemy. No, no, at this point I can't. And, and that's why I'm saying it's, it's not that I think that this was the right move to make. And I think we can't really fully make that decision until we get sure. to the end of the season. Absolutely. Um, 
it, 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 I'm not learning anything new about these characters. She's right. It is a regression in the relationship, especially in the, in the character arc that Pope has. You know, we're going to get some feedback that is going to talk about how Pope can still die a hero. And I, I don't, I don't know that that's, if Pope dies a hero at this point, at any point this season, then this storyline even more so is a complete waste in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. He needs to mm-hmm. die a, a, a jerk's death, you know? Like, had he died in this episode, I would have been completely okay with that. I don't know that... I would have thought that it would have been a fulfilling... That would have actually made me enjoy the drama because mm-hmm. it would have been a fulfillment of a conflict that needed a resolution in this episode. Right. To me. Right. And, and and again, like we're we're talking about this, like we don't know how the end is going to play into this episode, and, and I will have a completely different opinion of this episode after we've seen the finale. But up until this point, <laughs> sorry, go on. No, you're 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 exactly right. So I don't know. I mean, look, three episodes ago, Pope dying a hero seemed completely legit, and if he's going to die. Yes, he better die a hero. Now I'm just like, he better not die a hero. So again, a regression, even in, in our minds as, as to what this character deserves, uh, to, to seem real. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it at, at this point. Yeah. But, but all that aside, I like I said, there's... I liked the drama that they, they yeah. built up and I did enjoy the episode for that purpose. And, and that's really the okay. only purpose. Right. Well, yeah, just to end that. Is he going to die a hero thing? You know, mm-hmm. I, he, they, they, they spent so much time purposefully bringing him along this path where we thought that he could be redeemed mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, he's in this relationship with Sarah and she's changing him for the better. Mm-hmm. And, and that was four years in the making. And in two episodes, he has completely destroyed that. Yeah. That, that has been completely wiped out. So now, I don't see how he can come back from that at all. I, I mean, there, it's gonna, I mean, I, cause everything he's done up to this point has put Tom where he is at the end of this episode. I mean, if it hadn't been for Pope going off the rails after Sarah's death, Tom would not have been taken by that hornet. I mean, right. it, something else might have happened, of course. <laughs> right. But, I mean, at least looking at it in this context, that would not have happened. Yeah, and you know, when Pope is sitting there beating on Hal, uh, you know, when he cut his arm open, I mean, gosh, I'll only circle back around to that. When, he, when he's beating on Hal and saying, you know, what did he say? Say it. Yeah. What, say the words. Yeah. <laughs> he wants he wants Hal to admit that Tom has gotten so many people killed. That is what he wants Hal to scream while he's beating him. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, and I'm glad Hal said, look, if it wasn't for my dad, you would already be dead. And I don't know. I don't know. Pope, Pope was a really, like you said, he's a really smart guy. He really is. It took him no time at all to go out there to, to get weapons, which I think he probably stole from the second mass and find a group of people to serve as his protection, you know, a, a buffer to anything that, I mean, he's really smart, right? But mm-hmm. so Pope might actually still be alive had it not been for Tom Mason, but many of those other people, the second mass, no, they'd be dead. You know, Hal's right. Nope. If not for uh, Tom, they'd, well, they'd I, be dead. I mean, even the, ghettos you know even mm-hmm. if they had made it up until the beginning of season four true the ghettos true. come down yeah everybody would have been that. skitterized yeah that's a great point wow that's a good point yeah uh, circling back around to the uh, to the cut wound 
Oh, yeah. I mean, all I can say is that it was completely unnecessary. You're not, you're not even, it's not even an eye for an eye at this point. At what point, I mean, Tom didn't actually torture Sarah. (laughs) It's just, it's so unbalanced in the way Pope is reacting to this. Yeah. And so when I, that's exactly it, right? And so when I looked at that, and I'm trying to. Unproportional. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Unproportional. I'm, I'm trying to look at the, the faces of, of everyone else who witnessed it, either firsthand or, you know, came in directly after it happened. And, and not only that scene, but the scene where he shoots the guy that had broken his ankle. Yes. Most of those people, everyone but, but Anthony had some sort of relationship with that guy, whoever that guy was, the red shirt. And yeah. so. But even Anthony, when he witnessed that and when he witnessed, uh, witnessed Hal getting his arm cut, my point is that every single one of those people should be going, uh, what? Wait, what did no. I sign up uh-uh. for? This guy? I'm not following this guy. Let's form a coup, you know? And uh-huh. I know that Isabella kind of had that in mind. Like she was already planning her escape, but it even seemed like she was planning on escaping on her own and and she was going to leave everybody behind. Maybe I misinterpreted that, but I'm just thinking that surely these people won't be following Pope for very long, right? I mean, now he's shot and weakened. Surely they're going to say, let's put this dog down, right? I think we did have differing opinions on this because by the end of the episode, I felt like Everything that happened with Tom and Pope in this episode only fueled Anthony. Hmm. Uh, only fueled Anthony's hatred. Like I didn't see, I didn't see maybe the reluctance. Like you said, uh, Anthony had a look in his eye, like he's about to turn on Pope. Like, I, I didn't he did. see that at all. I really, but thought I mean, he did. But I also looked at this episode through really <laughs> jaded, <laughs> really <eyes>. bad lens. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I I went back and watched a couple scenes where I I thought maybe that you were thinking this and I didn't see it, but I did not go back to the one right after Pope shot that guy because there was a solution to that scene that didn't involve him shooting him, right? Mm -hmm. Just leave him be. (laughs) I mean, literally just drag him off to the side (laughs) and let the skitters have at him. But I mean, and then at that point, how are you any better than Tom? I mean, if when when you banish people, from your regimen mm-hmm. and you shoot them in the face. Yeah. How are you any better than Tom? Yep. The, you're talking about rhetorically well, I mean, saying from, that, right? From his, yeah, from his mind, he's thinking, right. I'm, I'm splitting off from Tom because I think I can do this better. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But his objective, but his objective is completely different than Tom's. His objective is to survive, whereas Tom, Tom's is to keep as many people alive as possible. That's and yet, right. He's yeah. accusing Tom for getting everybody killed. So, Unless he thinks he can do it better and actually puts an effort toward making things better, mm-hmm. he has no right to say anything against Tom. Right. Because clearly their objectives are different. Well, clearly. And he doesn't see his own hypocrisy, as you just said. I mean, Tom never walked up to somebody and put a bullet in them to put them down. Tom, yes, Tom 
uh, excommunicated Pope, but it was only after like 58 chances and Pope had completely gone off the rails. He never once excommunicated somebody because they were too weak. He did the opposite. He brought in the weak and said, together we will make you stronger, which is the juxtaposition we were getting with with Dan and and Marty the whole episode, right? We didn't need that, like I said, to understand the difference between the second mass and Pope. (laughs) But, you know, it, it was still nice to see them them juxtaposed it the way that they were but yeah it's completely uh, hypocritical for for pope to, to act this way and i did i thought i saw a look in anthony's eyes like oh dear like i don't know if I'm i really hope so because i can't remember who it was last week but i mm-hmm. i remember really liking that thought that it's going to be anthony who snaps out of it first and actually mm-hmm. saves Tom from Pope. I love that theory. And I, and I still think it definitely has a chance. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I was really hoping that that would be resolved by the end of this episode. Yeah. But, Mickey okay. in, the, in the chat room, he says, I won't get them killed. I'll just kill them. <laughs> Quote Pope. <laughs> and that's, that's about right. Well, you know, I guess if, if you're, if uh, Pope thinks Tom is hypocritical about wanting to, keep people alive but his actions make them or kill them then at least pope is being upfront about i'm not going to get you killed (laughs) like mickey said i'm just going to kill you so in that way maybe he's not being hypocritical yeah so you know i will say this though we gave it up to colin cunningham a few episodes ago when sarah died and we thought he was great in that episode he's playing crazy great He's really, oh, yeah. I love what he's doing with, with crazy. He's really doing a great job and, and I'm enjoying, but, you know, even so, like going from scene to scene, there are so many behaviors that just seem really inconsistent to me. Like, like going from the scene where he's saying, uh, when Anthony points out all the people who are banished, the non-essential mm-hmm. personnel. Mm-hmm. And then he goes inside and he's sitting in his chair, his, uh, his nice big armchair and he's just staring, right? Right. And, and he gets really serious with Isabella. <laughs> Why'd you stick your neck out for those people? <laughs> and, and he says, I'm going to tell you something. There's a guy in the other room. I mean, it just, I don't, I don't see where that attitude comes from. And and that's just the hardest part for me is like him going from somebody who is so strategic <laughs> to somebody who will just sit down right after that and just I mean I and I know that's the definition of crazy essentially mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the definition of insanity when you just can switch it on and off it just yeah. I don't know I I just yeah uh, you know that's funny you, that that's what bothered you in that scene I think what bothered me in that scene was that it was a little bit too stereotypical like the the villain always monologues a little bit and doing so gives up information but in that case you know it it felt like more of a plot device than anything else because right after he revealed hey i've got a man in the other room and his dad's you know chasing me down then we get the walkie-talkie and so i think it was really put on the put in there only as a segue into that and so that she would know who the guy was, who she was bandaging a little bit later. So that scene yep. kind of was only there to work those two other things into there. But at the same time, it felt like the stereotypical villain monologuing. Yep. Nope. Absolutely. Very good point. Which, which leads us into Pope <laughs> sending Tom on a wild goose chase around the city looking for Hal. Yeah. Which is another just unnecessary task for Tom to, 
beyond through this episode. I mean, I get that they had to stretch it out for whatever reason. But this conversation between Pope and Tom on the walkies, mm-hmm. I had I had to transcribe because this is just an example of his arguments not making any sense to me. So Pope says, I spent years risking my life for you, and what do I get? Exile. Proscribed. Cut off. And Tom says, you didn't give us any choice. And Pope says, just like you didn't have a choice to save Sarah, well, now I'm giving you orders. That I mean, I I didn't add or take anything out of those three lines. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't see how that is a valid argument for anything. And is that kind of the point, that he's just, so insane that he can't really rationalize what he's doing? Well, I think the point is that he's so insane that his his logic is is highly flawed. Having said that, I can see why where he could put those pieces together. He had to chase down and try to rescue Sarah. He's making Tom go on a wild goose chase to try to have to chase down and save Hal. He had to answer to... Tom's beck and call or whim uh, for all those years, and now he is making Tom. It's a power play, you know. Mm-hmm. I did what you did wanted me to do for all this time. Now you're gonna do what I want you to do, even if it's completely petty and ridiculous. I'm in control. You're gonna do what I want. I think that's really what it is. And is it? Does it make any sense? No, <laughs> but he's crazy. So yeah. in his twisted nonsensical logic it's exactly illogical sort of <laughs> exactly illogical sort of <laughs> no i mean you you make a good point it it does seem a little bit of a parallel to what i don't know i i don't know why i can't put my finger on why i just dislike that so much but yeah i just i think i expected more out of pope becoming a villain and the fact that he is so irrational and so illogical frustrates me because he seems better than that. He seems like he could he could have a bigger idea or a bigger plan, you know, than to just make Tom's life hell. And and so maybe that's a little bit of it. Yeah. I think that's all he's got at this point or that's all he cares about is just to make Tom's life a living hell and as long as he can do that uh then that's all he wants. Yeah, but he's he's successful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He can go to sleep and go. It was a good day. Um. So Tom's chasing. I want to. I want to get your thoughts on the Dornia thing when when Tom is chasing. Uh, well, how? But Pope uh, finally gets tracks him down to the bowling alley, and that's where Tom has another encounter with the Dornia. We got a lot of information in this scene. Tell me, you liked yes, this we did. scene? No, I actually hated the scene. Are you serious? Well, I I enjoyed some of the information that we got. Okay. But but the overall Okay. First of all, I thought that in the in the scene that we got of the Dornia last episode, mm-hmm. they say something about where's Hal? You know, like she she uh the Dornia suddenly turns into Rebecca and and embodies that. Where's Hal? You know, mm-hmm. he he was supposed to come home from practice or you know something. And and that immediately sends Tom off to go after Hal. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, in this scene, they're warning him not to go get Hal because they need him for their end game. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't even thought about that. So, I was just like I'm 
I'm like sitting in that scene going, are you kidding me? <laughs> because we do, we did get a little bit more information last episode because he says, mm-hmm. you know, I know you're not Rebecca, just come out and talk to me. And in this episode, they don't even pretend to be Rebecca first. They just come right out and say, you can't go in there. Stop, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. But I transcribed this too because I, I thought it was worth, you know, I mean, the information here is worth being repeated. So the Dornia okay. say, if you die, the entire war will be lost. Tom says, what are you talking about? We're winning. We're kicking their ass. Dornia says, it won't last. The Ashveni will rebuild as they've done with countless civilizations before. In a year, it'll be as if none of your victories ever happened. We're creating a new weapon that may finally wipe them out forever. But we need you, Tom. Just you. No one else to deliver it. If you die, everything will be lost. So yeah, a lot of information there. We know yep. um, the Ashveni... Well, let's see. Um biggest one being they're they're building a weapon where did, okay they're creating a new weapon that may finally wipe them out forever and they need Tom to deliver it so you know obviously we don't really know what happened here but my my theory is that Tom was actually gone for longer than he thinks he was and the Dornia engineered this weapon specifically to Tom's DNA or Tom's biology so that it could integrate with him easily and he could operate it. But, I mean, and as you say here, uh, how will they, how will they deliver this weapon if they are in a different plane of existence? And that was part of the reason that I wrote down this conversation because mm-hmm. when they say that we're building or we're creating a new weapon, then I don't think that can mean, well, it, it, it maybe could mean that they're in another dimension, but they're certainly not dead. Yeah, I think at one point I thought maybe they were coming from the afterlife or something. <laughs> right. Well, and we were trying to figure this out last week as, as try to trying to really wrap our brains around where they are, how they are existing, or to what extent they exist. And that's certainly yeah. still as much up in the air this week as it was last week, right? But yep. Mm-hmm. So, how are they going to physically give Tom this weapon unless he is the weapon? You know, I think that there's. I, I don't know how long he was on their ship. Um, you know, we got later on in the episode, Weaver told Marty that three months ago, it had been three months since Lexi died. You know, I thought it had been like a week, two weeks. Yeah. You know, like I thought. I'm going to have to go back and track that because I don't believe that at all. Yeah. I mean, I thought that Tom got back. They were going to go on the attack. They, they went out one day and, you know, shut down the mechs and, you know, got the, the fight in the forest or whatever. And then like the next day, the skitters pinned them down yep. and that took like a week. So mm-hmm. I thought like two weeks had passed maybe yeah. since Lexi had died. Yeah. Uh, Cause I could you know, go, they had to I go out stretch it to that. All that stuff. Three months. I don't, that surprised me. Yeah. But you know, so when you think about that, it makes me go, yeah, maybe Tom was with the Dornia longer than we thought. But the, the other thing is in the season premiere, Dan told Anne, hey, it's been, what, two days two or days. however many hours, you know, yep. uh, since since Tom left. And so they were kind of thinking. So, and, and then well, right after yeah. that, that Tom arrived back with, well, with and Pope. I, right? When, I, when so, I say he was on, he was with the Dornia longer than we think he was, I mean, like, from that space travel type of being able to stretch time, moving at the speed of light and stuff like that. So, you know, like, mm. or time is different for wherever the Dornia took him. Okay. Okay. That that's what I was referring to. But I that might be a little bit too hard to convey 
in this. It, it kind of just depends on how they explain the Dornia, but that's what mm-hmm. I meant. But yeah, in terms of how much time has passed, I don't know how they're coming up with three months, but... Yeah. Who are we to question the ways of the writers, apparently? <laughs> <laughs> Even though we continue to do so. It does make you wonder what this weapon is, and yep. if they did do something to Tom, you know, why is Tom the only way that they can deliver this weapon or, or that they will be victorious. Is it because he is the weapon or they did something to him? Is it just because he's the leader of the world at this point because of the Mason militias and they have this really discombobulated unity about them, which sounds, sounds contradictory, but in a way that's exactly what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they lose him, then they're, taking a huge step back and in, in the time they could get to the point where they're at now, the Ishvini will have recovered enough where it won't be possible. I mean, I don't know. I'm, you know, I can speculate some more if you'd like, but it's very interesting to me that Tom is the chosen one. You know, I don't, I don't know how that is going to all sort itself out. Does that mean he will die? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed that scene for the information we got about the Dornia's plans, but I just felt like I, I didn't understand why they show up then when they it just in the previous episode said Hal is missing and didn't try to stop him then. Yeah. Unless they did try to, did they try to stop him at the end of that scene in the previous episode? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, honestly, I hadn't really thought about that scene until you mentioned it here, and it really does seem like a pretty big contradiction. Yeah. And so I was just so frustrated with that, that I only mm-hmm. got the, <laughs> I only picked up on the conversation that Dorney had with Tom on my second watch. So it's a good thing I rewatched, but okay. So my last question <laughs> okay. about this, this All scene right. is it's, it's really interesting that as soon as, as soon as they start to lose ground or something, they snap from being talking to him as a Dornia to talking to him as Rebecca. Like, even in the last episode, or the last scene from the last mm-hmm. episode, where they she, they suddenly snap out of it, and she's like, Hell is missing, or Hell hasn't come home. And then this one, she try or they try to say, Tom, I love you. <laughs> and he says, I know you're not Rebecca. So, that's so interesting to me. Why would they... Why would they snap out of it, in and out of it like that? Like, is it a form of communication? Is it is it the only way that they can communicate with him? Are they trying to appeal to him in a way that they? I don't know. I think I'm they're just... trying to appeal to him in a way, and it's so weird that they're okay. trying to continue the facade, even though he knows that it's a facade. That's, I think, the perplexing part of it. Yeah. No, that's definitely per- perplexing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, okay. so. Uh, Tom blatantly ignores them. Of course he does, right? I mean, look, I don't blame him at all. He's going to. I would, too. I'm I'm right there. I can see where my son is being held. The funniest part about this, (laughs) I think, is that... So he he says to the Dornia, what, do you want me to sacrifice my son for the greater good? No, not this time. Well, didn't Anthony and Pope predict this in the last episode? Mm -hmm. If it was... If it was... Tom's son, he would he would drop everything and go after him. Right. <laughs> so I, I just would. found that pretty ironic. Yeah. Even though Tom did what he said, he wouldn't force anybody else to go with him. He would go alone and mm-hmm. resolve the conflict himself. Mm-hmm. So, luckily, uh, Hal is a little bit more uh, 
uh, resourceful than Sarah was. <laughs> he could get himself out of a scuffle. So. Well, I was just going to say, if Tom had just stayed behind with the second mass even, yeah, you know, would Tom would be joining him right about now, or, or Hal would be joining him right about yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought, this is how I saw this going down. I, I thought Tom would, would make it into the compound he would be discovered. There would be a shootout. Pope would hear of that. He would go to get Hal and use him as like a human shield or some sort of leverage to try to gain control of the situation. Only thing is, Anthony would step in and say, I don't think so, Pope. Plow, plow, or something like that. You know, it didn't go down that way at all. Not in the least. So I was kind of glad this scene didn't go out how I envisioned it in my mind. Because like I said earlier, in that at that point earlier in the episode, I thought I saw a look in Anthony's eyes like, mm, I'm mm-hmm. not riding this train much longer. But at any rate, Hal does get himself freed. So when when Pope walks out and Tom sees him and Tom doesn't hesitate and pop out, like I said earlier, I mean, I was just like, yes, I don't know why, Emily, but for a moment I actually thought it was dead. Foolish on I my know. part, I know, I know, but yeah. Not only did he not die, but they both proceeded to um stormtrooper shooting. <laughs> they were I mean there were several times when Tom like aimed his gun at Pope and missed. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like Ugh. Well Tom did not get just, shot. I mean not just one. Oh yeah, he got shot in the leg. So yeah. wow, good job, Pope. But then they both like proceed to fire and completely miss each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was I'm not gonna lie, I was disappointed that Pope was alive at the end of the episode. Which is really weird. Like, it, three episodes ago, I wouldn't have said that. But like we said earlier in this episode, I mean, yep. he's just come so far he's now. He's completely lost. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and so when he didn't wind up dead, I can't tell you how disappointed I was. Not because I actually want Pope's character dead, but because I want this storyline to resolve. Mm-hmm. I, I want the resolution to be here already so that we can focus back on the Ashveni. Because right now our, our attention is divided in so many directions that I just, I'm, I'm not enjoying the actual moving forwardness of this year of this season. I don't feel like there really is a moving forwardness of this season. And I think that's the frustration. I don't think so either. And here's what I'm not really sure about. So now, and here's the other thing, right? Now we have four segments. We have Tom, wherever he's at. Mm-hmm. We have Pope and Anthony and the rest of those people that they picked up this episode. We have the second mass, and we have Hal and Isabella. Mm-hmm. So we have those four groups. Now our, our storylines are going to get more splintered. Not to say that they can't combine those really quickly. I mean, Hal and Isabella could yeah. stumble across the second mass f- five minutes into the next episode and, yep. and Pope too. Right. But Pope's not going to, uh, there's going to be a conflict there. So I hope that doesn't happen. My, my main point I'm trying to get to here is where does the Tom Pope storyline go at this point? There has not been a resolution. Tom has been flown off to who knows where. And so what's the purpose of Pope and, and Anthony at this point, since that has not been, Resolved. I mean, they had a right. really cool ending to the episode with Pope and this great scar on the side of his face and mouth bleeding and, and him looking like he is, is just about ready to, to, 
fight anything that comes at him. That was cool, but I'm like, okay, well, but what do we do with that? Who does he fight? Where does he go? What, what, how does this, how does this resolve? Can I express something else that I didn't like? Sure. So when Pope is shot, it's the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the last scene when he's kind of on his knees and Anthony comes up to him and says, Pope, mm-hmm. it's at least morning, mm-hmm. if not the middle of the day. And he's got blood dripping out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. So am I supposed to believe that he was kneeling there all night, just letting his face bleed out? Because I think if you've been bleeding that long, there's probably a lot of blood loss that might make you unconscious. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I hate it when they do that. They go from something that happens at night mm-hmm. and then they immediately go to a daytime scene expecting no time to have passed between those two moments. And that just bothered me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It actually bothered me a little bit when Sarah died, because when Pope left Tom, it was daytime. When he got to Sarah, it was nighttime. But I reconciled that because he had to run to get there. And I thought, well, once the sun starts setting, it goes from from relative daylight to to dark within an hour's time. Uh, Maybe that's maybe it took an hour for him to run. But you're right here. uh, It was a little bit weird. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, other than that, it, it was a really good Ending just with him staring out. I just like, I can't believe that that would have been the first time Anthony confronted Pope after mm-hmm. Pope had been shot. So right. unless it was like, what, what, what do they say? Um, the darkest time of night is just before dawn or something like that. So I don't know. Yeah, Maybe it was just know. before dawn. I don't know. I, I don't think so, but whatever. That's just, I, I mean, at this point, all I'm doing is just getting really specific about my nitpicks, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Should we go uh, back to the other storyline going on here? Yeah. What else do you want to cover here? Um, we kind of talked about the juxtaposition here between the the Weaver storyline and the Pope storyline. Where else do you, what else should we talk about here? Well, I, I had the reaction to this storyline like you had to Pope's villain monologue. Mm-hmm. in that it was so stereotypical. I feel like it's been done at least two or three times, well, at least once this season, and maybe two or three other times in the entire series, yeah. where you have this small group of people who demand the second mass give up their supplies and hold somebody hostage, only for the second mass to get everything back. And, you know, and so it's just like, <laughs> I, I feel like this has been done before. It's so stereotypical. And by the end, when it was revealed that the guy was actually insane and he had a bunch of dummies wrapped up in his closet after giving them a pep talk, no less. He I think did give those them were a the actual talk. corpses of his family. They did not look like corpses. They look like they look like bunches of bags tied together. Well, I, I took it to, that they were the, cause they, they say we'll bury him. Didn't they say we'll bury him out back or something like that? Didn't they say that? They were placating him. I am pretty sure. The I guy was I think insane. they were the, is actually family that I, I, okay. I, it's not a, it's not it, a big, big deal either way. It, it totally, it, well, no, I don't think it is a big deal, but the point is he's insane. Yes. He thinks that they're alive and yeah. that's the point. I mean, you know, so whether or not they're alive or if it was actually their bodies is more of a, detail but yeah so by the by the point that it's revealed he's insane everything i, I just was like this is a total waste of my time <laughs> mm-hmm. i 
we have heard the speech from Weaver before, at least from three other people on the show. There's nothing new that has been said. We we're having the same monologue about family and hope and fighting for the same cause. I I just did not get anything out of that at all. Nothing nothing new. I completely agree. It, as again, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing Weaver in this role. I, I enjoyed the character development. I enjoyed the way it was all that stuff, right? But it didn't give me anything new. Um, so in the, in the long play, I don't think that there's anything here of value in the. Absolutely nothing. Because what is Marty going to do for the second mass? What is he, well, what is he going to do? How is he going to help? Maybe he'll figure out how to make that DeLorean fly without wheels. Uh, but. Cause that's it, the only Marty you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, I keep having to throw back to the future jokes. I got nothing else. You know, maybe he'll show up with a life preserver looking vest. I don't know. But for this episode, if I just take this as an episode, I enjoyed it. If I look at it as, as the, the long play, I didn't learn anything new. No. Even, even the scene between Maggie and Ben. Oh my like, gosh. Oh, I hate these spikes. I, I wish I could control myself. I mean, I think that was given to us because they're going to reach a point this season where they're not going to have the spikes anymore. Yeah. I think that's why they gave that to us. But oh, yeah. again, we didn't need that, right? Or, or, or was it, okay, was it that scene between Maggie and Ben just a, hey, we're made for each other. And now we have Hal with Isabella, right? She was making googly eyes at him, Oh, right? she totally was. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely I mean, a new love interest. Now we have, we can, all the Mason boys can live happily ever after with their girls at the end of this story. That is, that is, I mean, the two things that you pointed out about that scene are exactly what came to my mind, too. Okay. They're, they're obviously going to not have these spikes anymore at some point. I'm, or not obviously, I should say, they're, they could be alluding to that. And yeah, they could be alluding yeah. to the MFEO kind of relationship that these two have. So, but yeah. Completely unnecessary and totally out of place. I actually thought that when their spikes started glowing, you know, either there's a strong emotional connection or there's a skitter or an Ashveni nearby, right? Yeah. And so I thought that it was going to be another bunch of skitterized humans behind that door that that guy had closed up. But I forgot about the scene where he actually went in and, you know, is, what's our motto? <laughs> <laughs> Cricket, 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 cricket. I mean, at that point, that sealed yeah. the deal for me that they were actually, either the room was empty or they were dead, and I was thinking they were dead. But right. I kind of figured from the very beginning that, that this guy was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and his family was was dead. Right. Yeah, but no at, at that point, there. when when uh, when Weaver says, what you got behind there, or whatever, <laughs> I thought, I was like... Oh, that's why Ben and Maggie's spikes were glowing because there's, there's scatterized humans back there uh -huh. or something. Yeah. But nope, they're just bags or dead people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree about that scene. I just, and, and it's like, it's funny because Maggie wasn't in the previous episode at all. Right. And in this one, she's in it for one and a half scenes and she only has the lines in that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Drop it. But like, okay, at one point when, when Anne concedes to give up the weapons and the truck, and she's like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go, but we're going to circle back and rescue him. Maggie kind of comes out, and she's like, got her game face on, and we're going to get him with our spikes and everything. 
I was like, does anybody know where Tom is? I mean, nobody's questioning. Oh, Pope kidnapped Hal? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like nobody even knows, which, which is totally fine yeah. because Tom doesn't want to incite panic. But it's, it's again that whole marginalized information sharing that Pope is kind of accusing him of, not of the information sharing, but just like of only protecting or thinking that he knows what's best for everyone. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, whatever was said to the second mass about it, it was certainly done off camera, right? We don't know if they said, oh, Tom and Hal are on a recon mission, or if they said, hey, Pope went off the rails, connect Hal and Tom's on the rescue mission. Who knows? Elsewhere. <laughs> but they do seem to have some, like, they, none of them seem to be missing Hal and Tom, so it leads you to believe that they think whether the, they're somewhere doing something, whether that's the truth of what's actually going on, we don't know. Right. Oh, boy. I don't know if I've got anything else. Yeah, I don't know that you've... I don't know that I've helped bring your score up any. No. Um, but I'm I'm at least hold, holding solid at a five. I, okay. I'm not going to go down. <laughs> okay, and I'm not going to go down any either. I mean, look, I'll say one last time. Yes, we did run in circles. Yes, we didn't really learn anything new. But for the... If, if you take the episode, how much did I enjoy this episode? I enjoyed it quite a bit. And that's why I gave it an eight. Not that we learned anything new. Well, a few things, but anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I think we got some pretty positive feedback from the listeners. Maybe one of them will Good. help you bring your Let's score up so. a little bit. Uh, before we get into feedback we got on this week's episode, we have a, a feedback that actually came in in time for last week's episode, it came in after the Hatchlings episode, which was two episodes ago. We got right. it in for last week. I dropped the ball, forgot to include it. So it came in from Brian M. And uh, this is a, a part of what he sent in. He says, I think in general, I've been harsher on Falling Skies than you two have been. I haven't been a big fan of David Icke's direction he's taken the show since he became the showrunner last season. I really didn't like the treatment of Lexi last season. I really have nothing good to say about her. Making Anne drop her doctor persona to become a warrior, and in general, the whole love triangle thing. Whenever I see them on screen, my mind wanders to the CougarLife.com commercials that I could swear I've been playing uh, during the show, and I know play on TV. I've never even seen those commercials. I'm not. I haven't either. Sure, what he's talking about. Um, I'm hoping they're starting to. Put that to bed, no pun intended. Uh, you have Sarah Carter, who's 34, playing a character of Maggie, who's maybe 28, in a relationship with Drew Roy's Hal. Drew's 29, and he's playing a character who's probably in his early 20s. Add that to Connor Jessup, who's 21, and in real life is maybe 18 on the show at this point, if not younger. Anyway, the Maggie-Hal relationship is a big age difference, but Maggie-Ben, in real life or fictional, is just wrong. That said, I think the show's been better the first three episodes than it was last season. Although there were some good moments last season, there weren't enough of them. And again, that's Brian M. Yeah, I agree on that last point. I thought the first three episodes or, were a great introduction to a season that I thought was going to move along a lot faster than it has been. Yeah, There was some great drama, and I think I gave pretty high ratings to the first mm-hmm. three episodes. Mm-hmm. So, totally agree there. And I and I kind of remember having the conversation about uh, the age discrepancy between mm-hmm. <laughs> Sarah I think we Carter did talk and about that. Right. Yeah. But funny. All 
All right. Well, we also got some uh, audio feedback from uh, Andrew, and this is about uh, not the episode we're talking about here, but last week's episode. So here's what Andrew okay. had to say. Hey, y'all. This is Andrew from Raleigh, a uh, longtime listener of several other podcasts of yours, or Golden Spiral Media, I should say. Um, but this is the first time I've actually listened to a Berserker podcast because I have been binge-watching to catch up so I could uh, watch the last season uh, as it came out. I haven't watched the episode from last night, so this will be a little bit late, uh, a week late, I believe. But I uh, just want to give you a heads up on Fayetteville. So I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, and yes, there is a big army base there called Fort Bragg. Um, and it's home to the 82nd Airborne and uh, their Special Operations Division. Most prominently, probably you know of Delta Force. Uh, that's all based there. Um, it's the largest military reservation in the country, yada, 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 yada. Uh, it's, it's a huge military town, okay? Um, huh. Now, that being said, when I was watching the episode, uh, the name escapes me, but it shows the map of the blank space on, and that was the first thing I thought of was that's Fayetteville. That's where Fayetteville is. So naturally, huh. I got a little excited. Then they showed the map a couple more times with DC as well, all blacked out. But I can tell you right now, they're talking about Fayetteville, North Carolina. So, yeah, that's all I really want to say. I'm, I'm looking forward to the end. Um, I suspect, like you said, Tom's going to die if any of them do die. Uh, I don't think any of the boys are going to die. Pope's, his days are numbered. The other guy I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, he's going to come to realization when it's time that Pope's going to kill Tom. He's going to come to the realization and probably kill Pope. That's my theory as well. So uh, I think that works. And yeah, I won't lie either. I definitely got a little teary-eyed uh, in the Cochise and exchange. That was uh, that was that was that was pretty nice. And I wasn't expecting to see Lexi either. So uh, anyway, y'all doing great. Keep up the good work. Golden Spiral Media rocks. Um, and I give this episode seven and a half eyeborgs. There you go. All right, thanks. I love that. Iborg. That's awesome. Iborg. That's great. Excellent feedback, Andrew. Thank you for that information on um, Fayetteville. I think we, you, you had actually done a little research after that episode and clarified yeah. where yeah, we yeah. got it. But was, I but, didn't know that's where but, Fort Bragg was. I've heard of Fort Bragg, but yeah. I didn't realize that that's where Fort Bragg was. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, but that also brings up another question, right? Because not only are they heading to DC for the, ultimate showdown we still have that little stopover in Fayetteville and we now have five episodes to do that and we've only made it a mile out of town I say a mile I don't know maybe it's 10 miles but still right I don't know there are some people that are walking next to the vehicle so I don't know if they've even gone a mile (laughs) I know right yeah all right we'll see what happens next week maybe the pace will pick up Hopefully. Thank you very much, Andrew. And yeah, congratulations on binge watching for the final season. I mean, that that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. No small task. All right. So we've got some more feedback here from Gannon. All right. Another great episode. He says, while reading the plot of this episode, I got a little nervous, especially in the final season. I wasn't so sure I wanted to see human versus human drama. Last year's ep with the two brothers was disappointing for me, as was season three when Hath- uh, Hathaway's people attacked. 
I'm just not that big into that concept, especially when there is so much to do with the alien part. But thankfully, I was wrong. Super intense from start to finish. Colin, uh, Colin Cunningham and Drew Roy did a phenomenal job. Pope has really gone off the deep end, and Colin shines as that. Isabella is a fascinating new character, and, and I'm excited to see how she develops. Marty and Weaver's storyline was very touching, and is great to see how far Weaver has come. Usually, I'd be against bringing in new characters this late, but both are so interesting. And he gives this episode 8 out of 10 Lois Bowling Lanes. Oh, Lois Lane Bowling Alleys. Did I? I totally just butchered that. 8 out of 10 Lois Lane Bowling Alleys. What did I even say the first time? I can't even remember. <laughs> he said Lois Bowling Lanes, I think is what he said. <laughs> I like was looking away as I was reading it and oh my gosh. Anyway, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> I can't recover. Sorry for Yeah, me. I didn't it was was it called Lois Lanes? Was that the name of the bowling yeah. alley? Yeah. I totally missed that. What? Oh, that was so funny. Lois That's a Lanes. great name. That if I owned a bowling name. alley, that might be what I would call them. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> funny. Oh, well, I think he had a similar reaction to you as uh, uh, in terms of the episode, worried about what the human versus human interaction would be, but finding it very intense and the drama really solid. And yeah, that's awesome. Because I, I mean, I'm not denying that there was a, that the drama was good. Like I said at the beginning, you know, there was a lot of great acting in this episode and just, I can't get past some of the, little things and it just makes me not see it the same way but so glad other people do all right well i tell you what we got some audios in let's listen to justina first hi emily and daryl see what i did there reverse alphabetical order this week as soon as i saw the title this week i was concerned non-essential personnel in the fight to save humanity against the aliens I feel like every human being is essential. To win an essential battle, fighting is not the only element. You need people who are good at strategy, who can find food, and have knowledge of medicine or mechanics. Hope's rage and grief is causing him not to think clearly. He is only choosing fighters, and as soon as a person is not able to fight, he turns around and puts them down. This will not cause loyalty among his men. I was haunted at the beginning of the episode going through that neighborhood outside of Charleston. I think maybe it was because it was daytime, and you could really see the details that this was just a neighborhood before the invasion. And I think that because we spent so much time in Chinatown, I became sort of numb to those surroundings, but going to this new location really reminded me of how the world was and how it is now. It was haunting. Mm. When the Dornia said that this war cannot be won without Tom, at first I didn't agree. I thought, well, he's taught his sons well. Hal can definitely lead. Colonel Weaver and Anne are doing quite well with the second mass, and I think that the legacy that Tom started could allow the second mass to win the war, regardless of whether Tom Mason is alive at the final battle or not. 
But the Donia's insistence that Tom must be alive made me wonder. Tom has survived something on the moon that no one should have survived. I think whatever the Dornia did to save Tom Mason may also make him a weapon towards the Esfeni that will cause the humans to win the war. What they did to Tom to save him and make him a weapon, I'm not sure. This put another question in my mind. Anthony made mention that these hornets seem to be different. Is the hornet that took Tom taking him to an overlord? Or do the Dornia have any hornets on their side and they have taken Tom because he was not listening to them? So they have taken him to keep him safe for whatever devices they have sent him back to Earth for. I am so glad they had Colonel Weaver to balance out Pope in this episode, because as much as Pope was talking about non-essential personnel, Dan Weaver was talking about how everyone is very important, and even though Marty tried to kill him, he's not so much different than him, and that the second mass should take Marty with them. Quote of the week should definitely go to Cochise. Would you stop backseat driving? But I'm in the front seat. So in honor of Cochise, I give my rating. I give this episode 10 out of 10 backseat drivers. Have a great week. Thanks, Justina. I forgot about that scene with Cochise. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Will you allow me to just enjoy this for a minute? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Interesting theory she brings up. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't somebody just writing that in the chat room when we started the show? I, somebody asked, um, could the hor- could, could the Dornia possibly have any hornets on their side? Yes. Uh, I think Mickey was the one who, who put that in there. Yeah. I, 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 the thought had not occurred to me until I heard this feedback. I, you know, I, I, I go through and edit the, the feedbacks just to kind of get the volumes all set right and stuff like that. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's a good idea. That's I, a really I interesting thought about one. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we had rebel skitters before, but the whole reason that the Hornets were created was because, well, they were, they were the rebel skitters who had t- been turned or who had been modified even further. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know, but it's certainly possible. I actually, I, I should say, I hope that is true because it'll show that, you know, the Ashveni aren't all powerful when it comes to modifying creatures and well, you that know, there and is still flaws. There was some discussion, like when the guy broke his ankle, it was because that bug wasn't like the other bugs. So maybe the Dornia have developed some sort of decoy bug that's, that looks like the other so that it can kind of, you know, do some recon, but... It's different, so I don't know. Maybe because that bug, maybe the bug was there because it was trying to get Tom out Lying of the situation. Wait for Tom. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a good point. Yeah, because I feel like they've all, especially Anthony, he's seen the hornets before. They mm-hmm. they blew up that facility, the turtle factory, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all of them coming out of it. So he, yeah. he definitely has seen the hornets before. That's a really mm-hmm. good point. Yeah, and that was another really point, point in the episode that I really really enjoyed. 
just from the standpoint where it caused an emotional reaction when that hornet swooped down because Tom was so close to rescuing Hal and it had been building up to this thing the whole episode. There was the shootout and blah, 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 blah. And then the hornet comes down and just like that, he's gone. And I was just like, I felt like Luke Skywalker. No! You know, not the Darth Vader, you know, from episode three. No, 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 not that one. You know, Uh, anyway, I kind of let out a yell kind of like that. So, okay, yeah. It was more like, no, no, because I, I, <laughs> I, I can so totally I think, see you making that sound. I don't, I don't think I make that sound. I think you have. I think I've heard you make that sound before. The first time I saw your face, maybe. Mm. The time you thought I was a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was the first time we met. All right. Let's All go right. to what? Gosh, I thought you'd forgotten that. All right, one more feedback here. Of course, it comes in from Barb. Here she is. Hello, Emily and Daryl. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's Falling Skies Epi non-essential personnel. I'll give this Epi eight bowling balls. Cute name for the hangout of the week, the Lois Lanes. I guess Pope thought he was Superman. I'm now convinced the Pope will die by season's end due to his incredible darkness. I think the writers will allow him to sacrifice himself for someone, possibly even a Mason, to give him his final act of redemption, but it's going to be a dark path until then. I'm wondering what it will take for Anthony to realize he's playing on the wrong team. Watching Pope kill one of the new recruits in cold blood after sending the other folks out on their own was brutal. Anthony may feel maligned by the second mass, but he's always watched out for others. He saw how Anne pushed the group and herself too hard in pursuing Lexi, and he has to see the Pope is far worse than Anne. Come on, Anthony, snap out of it. Considering that there are only five Epis left, adding the character of Isabella as a major player seems like an odd move. We are very vested in characters from the past four seasons, and it seems late in the game to ask us to care deeply for a newbie. I'm guessing that Hal will survive the series, since he will now have two women giving him the once-over. Not sure where that leaves Ben. Once again, the focus this week was on human emotions rather than action, although there were certainly some tough scenes to watch. Last week had us focusing on death, grief, letting go, and moving on. This week served to remind us that each life is important and that it matters. The juxtaposition of Weaver's handling of Marty and Pope's of the people he finds in his new home was very compelling. Pope was firmly in the survival of the fittest camp, and by that we don't mean fittest by natural selection in the evolutionary process, which was the original intent of the phrase coined by Herbert Spencer in 1864. Instead, it is the belief that the strongest will prevail and the weak will not have a place in society. Helen Weaver, on the other hand, reminded us of how the second mass viewed people, protecting and caring for each other, being family for each other, and generally not leaving anyone behind, as long as the primary mission was not jeopardized. The poem, New Colossus, penned by Emma Lazarus, is printed on a plaque at the Statue of Liberty. And the end of this well-known poem symbolizes what America was built upon, and what Weaver was emphasizing, that all people and the skills they bring are needed to rebuild when the Asphini are defeated. And I will close with those words. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. 
her mild eyes command, the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she, with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Wasn't that good? (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to get Barb to write these episodes. Because I think her feedback just now made me actually like this episode. Yes! I mean, she, she drew out all of the points of the episode that were absolutely necessary. Yeah. In order to, to get, you know, what, what we're getting toward here at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to say that I actually like the episode, but I can actually get behind what it was trying to do now. So, like, yeah. So, thank you, Barb. Yeah. Yeah, Barb. <laughs> that was really, really good. Barb did a great job. I thought she might get you with the uh, literary piece there at the end. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I don't even. I. I. I don't think I can say anything yeah. to that other than you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. She's not in the chat room either. She. She was here for a while. And now she stepped out. So she deposited. Yes. We can't even give it up to her live, but she'll hear this. And good job, Barb. Well, lots of good feedback this week. Uh, I thought yeah. everyone, Gannon, Justina, Brian, Barb, Andrew, everybody brought in some great feedback this week. So thank you all for that. And we would love for you to send in some feedback for next week. So you can do that by calling 304-837-2278 or head over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback where you have a variety of ways to send us feedback there. You can type out the, uh, we have a feedback form you can type out. You can attach an audio file or use the speak pipe widget, which uses your uh, computer's microphone. Or if you do it on your phone, you can just record it right there using your uh, phone's microphone. So lots of ways. Goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Deadline for that is Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern because at 8 p.m. Eastern over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. We're doing the live show. We'd love to have you join us for that as well. Yes, we would. All right. You got some Twitter action for us, Emily? We got some Twitter action. So the first the first question I came up with was, how? Uh, well, what did you hate most about this episode? <laughs> but I figured maybe that would <laughs> give away my, my uh, reaction mm-hmm. to the episode. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd just mass that a little. So I ended up asking... Uh, where the heck did that hornet take Tom, and for what nefarious purpose? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, Mike of Continuum Podcast says, off to meet another overlord, I assume, although that has been done, so I kind of hope not. <laughs> hope they <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Diane says, I think the hornet took Tom to meet with the alien who's pretending to be Rebecca. Ooh, Ooh. another one... Uh, uh, Another one on that theory. Mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, Jeff X Force Eleven says, "I think they are taking him to Fayetteville or DC. Yes, to take out their biggest enemy." Barb says, "I think it wants to take him to the Ashfeni Washington DC headquarters and skitterize him, but it won't happen." <laughs> All right, and Mike Jovial Falcon says, "His fake wife told him not to go there. She sent it to grab him so they can meet face to face. More lies await." Mm-hmm. And 
finally, I think. Finally, uh, Ian Knight Zort 70 says, Tom is headed to DC the quick way, although the Shveni low budget airline is a little too basic for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. A, a lot of people have the same theories on that. Think they're, Tom is going to DC. I guess we'll probably find Let's out see. next week. Well, based on the pace of the last couple episodes, <laughs> we might not find out. Well, I tell you what, Emily, uh, if, if you go out there and do some Googling, uh, Googling. And, and find the synopsis for next week, which is publicly available, uh, I think, I, I think the way I interpret it is the answer to our Twitter poll question might be answered in that. Uh, I don't know for sure. We're not gonna, we're not gonna mention it here because we kind of think it's a little too spoilery. So if you don't mind that, or if you're curious, go go Google it up. Next week's episode is called Respite. So just, you know, Folly Skies, Respite, Synopsis, you'll find it. All right. Well, next week's episode will hopefully be better than this one. Hopefully both of us will agree on that. Hopefully you'll agree on that. I and hope hopefully so. you'll join us for next week's podcast. If you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is GSM Podcasts. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook at Golden Spiral Media. We'd love to have you a part of that. And I think that's it, Emily. I think that's it. I have no more negative things to say, believe it or not. Believe it or not. <laughs> I, I really hope that I wasn't too much of a downer. I apologize. I, I hate ragging on a show that I really love. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, the only reason I do it is because I know how good it can be. Yes. I think so that's it. Not, we love the show so much. We were, yeah. we're wanting more out of it. Yeah. So I will, I promise to look or watch next week's episode through a healthier lens and have more positive things to say. That's, that's my commitment. I'm holding you week. to it. Okay. All right. Thanks. And until then, I think I'm going to go check my attic for uh, dead bodies. And I'll just tell you that uh, if you're shooting from the hip, try aiming a little bit more to the right. <laughs>